Let's, let's pray together. Well, Jesus, here we are. Um, some of us feeling mistreated and disappointed, broken, even devastated. A lot of us come here with questions and doubts, uh, struggles with faith that, that we'll only really acknowledge in our deepest, most personal thoughts. But Jesus, you are our only hope. Will you be with us now? Prepare our hearts to hear your word and, and speak to us, Lord. Uh, lead us each to a place where, despite our questions, despite our doubts, and, and despite our fears, we can say with assurance what King David said in Psalm 62. I find rest in you, Lord. Only you can save me. Only you give me hope. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. It's uh, really good to see uh, each of you here today as we uh, take the next four weeks to um, really wrestle with some of these uh, difficult questions, uh, doubts and struggles with God, uh, especially when you can't see how his plan is at work in your life. Uh, this message series is called Second Guessing God, and it is inspired by a book with the same title by the author Brian Jones. And I was given this book uh, several years ago by a friend who was going through a, a particularly tragic circumstance in, in her own life, and, and she found some comfort from the message uh, of this book and, and gave it to me. And, and I read it several years ago, and, and at the time it, it really ministered uh, to me also. And I believe that, that, that God has been kind of preparing our entire church, uh, preparing you uh, to hear uh, this uh, message uh, the next four weeks and, and to hear from his word, uh, especially when you've given up on hope. Uh, God may have you here today uh, for that reason in particular. So welcome. Uh, my name is Andy. If I haven't had the opportunity to meet you, I'm, I'm really glad that you're here. Um, uh, maybe uh, you can introduce yourself to me after the worship service. But uh, may maybe during this, the, the drama that was up here a little bit ago, you could associate with, with one or more of the scenarios. Um, and, and maybe you could have written one yourself or, or, or uh, where you found yourself second-guessing God. Well, what's happened in your life uh, such that the, the doubts uh, have, have crept in. Maybe not doubts that you, you verbalize or share with others, but the ones that, that kind of haunt you when the lights go out and you're laying in bed and, and trying to fall asleep, uh, where, where the pain has become such a constant cloud in your life that, that you struggle to see God uh, through the haze of it all. Well, at the time when I, I first read this book, Second Guessing God, I, I was uh, walking through a time that was uh, kind of hazy uh, for myself. Um, Amy Jo, my wife and I, we were married in the year 2000. Uh, it was a great idea. I can always remember exactly how many years uh, we, we have been married. It'll be 18 years. Uh, we're in 2018 now, uh, later this July. Uh, and like any newlyweds, we, we had our times of great joy and happiness together, but we also had some struggles, you know, struggles like learning what it meant to, to live together with somebody else and, and, and live your life not just 
uh, paying attention to your own thoughts and needs, but somebody else's too. Um, and so we, we had uh, some, some of those newlywed struggles in the early years, but I don't think any of, either one of us uh, really uh, started second-guessing God until about a year um, into our marriage uh, when we began uh, uh, wanting to have a family. And I, I don't remember exactly how all the events transpired, but I, I do remember uh, three to four months into our attempts to, to have children, uh, things not working out and the toll that it began taking on Amy Jo. And, and following, we had, uh, I remember multiple trips to the doctor, um, uh, diagnostic tests on both her and, and me, uh, all kinds of advice, unhelpful advice uh, from family and friends about how to best conceive, and, and, uh, and on and on and on and on. And, and at the time, I, I was just finishing, or I was uh, in the process of, of, I was about halfway through seminary and in the process of trying to finish up. And so I, I had a little tunnel vision and was trying, you know, I was focused. I had things to, to get done and accomplish, but, but Amy Jo really felt the clock ticking. And I look back on some journal entries that I made uh, at the time, just pleading to God. God, please, just, just help Amy Jo get pregnant. Um, and, and the months turned into years. And truth be told, we began to lose hope. In the process there, we, we moved back to Champaign. I'd finished seminary, and we were charged with starting a new church. And yet uh, our our challenges uh, to have a family continued. And uh, yet I was able to find meaning and purpose in this new task that was put in front of me. But, but every time, and starting a new church, we connected with a lot of younger people. And every time one of our friends um, in, in the church shared their great news of, of having, uh, having a, uh, going to be having a baby, and even worse, when, when those same friends or others that we knew would start complaining about how difficult the pregnancy was and, and how they wished it would just be over and, and why does it have to be so hard, um, all just the hurt and the pain in us would, would just rise to the surface. It would be so fresh. And I, I, I mean, of course we were happy for them. Uh, you have to be. You know, they're, they're your friends. Uh, but, but it was impossible not to just cry out to God. God. God, where are you? Have you forgotten us? But you don't have to go through infertility uh, to feel hopelessness or cry out, where is God? Now, you can second guess God for any number of reasons. Maybe for you it's a sense of just utter disappointment with the way that, that your life has turned out. You had a picture uh, in your mind of the way things were going to be, and now that image is, is really just a, a, a distant memory. You never would have chosen where your life is now to be your story, to be trapped in, in an unloving marriage, or to be stuck in an unfulfilling job, or to uh, be single, but not by choice. You know, be, to be limited by physical pain that has just uh, changed everything. Your dream for your life has been fading and the joy has been stripped away. And if you're a Christian, then this poses a particular problem for you because 
in your belief system, you believe that God can change things. And yet when he hasn't, and he seems content to stand by and let you live what you consider to be a mediocre life, you naturally, it is just natural to doubt his presence. Maybe even doubt his goodness, make it very difficult to sing the song that we sang earlier about how good God is. Maybe your life hasn't just been unfair. Maybe you uh, literally feel broken by life. Um, Whether it was your parents' divorce or your own infertility, uh, like we experienced, bankruptcy, job loss, or some other combination of blows beneath the belt. Uh, For broken people, uh, the the poem by Antonelle France uh, might resonate with you. And if I was smart in second and third grade when I had to memorize poems, I would have picked this one because it's only three words long. (laughs) Born, suffered, died. If you feel like that could be written about your life, you're not alone. And then there are those of us whose lives aren't just broken, they're, they're devastated. Maybe that's you today or, or maybe someone close to your heart. The sexual abuse that sent your entire life on a trajectory of pain or the report that the cancer has returned. The loss of a child or the depression that just, just will not go away. Despair maybe has become your new normal. Whether it's disappointment or brokenness or, or devastation, it can cause any of us to doubt the presence or the goodness of God uh, and the plans that he has or maybe doesn't have for our lives. And it can cause us to ask the biggest question, a question that I think every single one of us has asked or will ask at some point in our lives, God, where are you? You know, the Old Testament of the Bible tells us uh, of the the story of God's people uh, who had been enslaved in Egypt for over 400 years until God raised up Moses to help deliver uh, his people out of bondage. And and after their miraculous escape, God led them through the wilderness and uh, gave them his law, helped them know what it meant to be his covenant people, and, and yet... Um, In the midst of that, uh, a journey that should have taken two to three months because of their lack of trust in God, it ended up taking over 40 years. Uh, And now, those children who, those folks who were children at the time when Moses led them out of Egypt were now adults, they stood before the promised land, the the land that God had promised uh, their ancestors hundreds of years ago. Uh, they were standing before that promised land with, uh, and seeing it for their own eyes. They had anticipated this moment for, for over 40 years. They're, it was the culmination of their hopes and their dreams. And, and you might be able to sense their excitement. And that's where we pick up in Joshua chapter 3. Where it says, early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim, which is a rather unfortunate name for a place. Um, and, and they went to the Jordan... Uh, where they camped before crossing. Now, now picture this massive group of people. This had to have been, uh, at kind of a minimum, a couple of hundred thousand uh, people, uh, possibly over a couple of million people. And, and they had waited their entire adult lives for this moment, and they stood at the edge uh, just overlooking what their future held for them. 
a land flowing with milk and honey, the, the promised land for them. And, and the only thing in between them was, uh, between them and that was the Jordan River. And, and Joshua told the people uh, to follow the Ark of the Covenant. And he told the priests to carry the Ark out in front of the people and then to approach the water and to step into the water with the Ark. And he said, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Which was a rather a difficult command to follow uh, because uh, we learned from verse 15 that the waters at, uh, of the, the Jordan River were at flood stage uh, during this harvest season. The river was raging. And to understand uh, how bad the water was, you have to understand the, the geography of the region just a little bit. Um, uh, Israel uh, in the Jordan Valley had, was surrounded by, by mountainous regions. And maybe you can see, uh, we might have uh, some of the, the images up here. Did you get those? Uh, yes. Uh, so uh, there's one other. Uh, sh show the one with the mountains. Um, in the distance. So this, this was a lot of what the Jordan River Valley was like. You have these mountainous kind of slalom ski slopes all around, and it all kind of funneled down into a river valley. Now go back to that map. Um, and this, it was kind of like this for uh, ways about 60 miles uh, of the Jordan River uh, from the Sea of Galilee in the north. It flowed about 60 miles south, coming from a very high elevation, flowing down to the Dead Sea, which is the lowest place on earth, about 1,300 feet below sea level. And so when uh, the, it was the rainy season, which happened to be during harvest season, it would uh, flow down the sides and, and then just create a torrential just uh, flow and raging, raging river. And uh, how terrifying it, it would have been for the Israelites to be uh, charged with standing in that water. Uh, I can imagine the priests thinking, you want us to take the ark into that? What if the ark, th that's the presence of God. Uh, what if God flows on down the river? And I, I can see like mothers holding their, 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 their babies just close to them saying, no, there's no way we're going into that. And, and yet uh, Joshua, uh, that was his command from God. And we see, though, once they trusted God and stepped into the water, something amazing happened. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. And it piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam. Now, here's what I find amazing. Yes, it's amazing that God can perform a miracle and stop entire bodies of water from flowing. Uh, that is amazing to me. But what I find most interesting about this miracle is where it took place. Scholars estimate that the town of uh, Adam was roughly 20 miles upstream from the place where the Israelites would have crossed the river, far beyond where they could see with their eyes. God performed a miracle but it was a miracle that the people didn't witness with their own eyes. God performed this miracle upstream, out of their line of sight. Now here's the powerful truth that the children of Israel learned that day that I think God wants to teach our hearts to. That God is always at work upstream in our lives. Where is God? And whenever we face problems in our lives, sickness, job loss, depression, tragedy, discouragement, God is always at work upstream 
in those situations, beyond our line of sight. The, the only thing that the Israelites could see was the raging river, the problem right in front of them. And they could have concluded that because the river raged, that God wasn't there, but they would have been wrong. He was there. They just couldn't see him at work. Friends, God is at work upstream in your life, and I, I don't know how. I don't know what the result will be, but I know that God is at work. And, and a lot of times we don't believe that because we kind of have tunnel vision. And, and our primary focus and what the agenda that we have for our lives uh, can be easily summed up in, in one word, like happiness. Like that's what we want for our lives. We want our lives to be pleasant. We want things to work out. We don't want to have any significant challenges or trials. We, we want, want to be happy in our lives. That's our agenda. But, but God's agenda is very different. God's agenda is to draw our hearts closer to him. God's agenda is to, to transform our hearts into the image of his son, Jesus. That's God's agenda for us. God is in the character development business, not the doling out happiness business. And God is at work upstream in every situation in our lives, drawing us closer to him, helping to turn our hearts toward him. And this morning, I just want to share a few tools with you that can help you see God at work upstream in your life in the midst of whatever difficult, challenging circumstances that you might be facing. And you can follow along in your message notes. They're in there. Um, and, and I fully recognize that, that these may sound trite for you if you are presently in the midst of, of pain and suffering and hurt. Believe me, I get it. I, I've been there. And at times, the, the advice, the direction, the counsel seemed trite too. Uh, but, but these are meant to help you tune your hearts the eyes of your heart to see God at work when, when your eyes really can't see God at work. And the first is really to trust what you can't see. And throughout life, what we are taught, especially in, in school, uh, we're taught that we can only really trust that, that the only evidence that there is out there for, for things happening is what we can experience with our five senses, right? It's even given a name. Does anybody remember that? The, the scientific Nobody, it, not smarter than a fifth grader. Uh, that's what you learn it about fifth grade, the scientific model, right? Uh, so what you can, the evidence you can take in from your five sets, that's the scientific model, and that's what you can have, uh, that what is secure, concrete evidence. But God, uh, but to see God at work in your life, you need to trust what the Bible refers to as the eyes of your heart. Uh, the Bible calls this faith. And Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 tells us that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of that which we cannot see. The more we exercise faith, trusting God with our souls and not with our eyes, with our hearts and not what we can touch with our hands, and then we open ourselves up to the possibility that, that we can't see and understand everything. The more we do that, the more we begin to recognize God at work, behind the scenes, upstream in our lives. But next, uh, to see God at work, upstream in our life, you, you've got to learn how to let go of what you can't control. 
We all like to be in control, don't we? Amen. Amen. That's the response. We all like to be in control, uh, to not have to depend on anyone or anything else. We, we, we want things the way we want them. We want them on our time schedule, uh, but, but Jesus doesn't work with our timetables. He doesn't check with us before allowing things or, or not allowing things. Uh, he, he doesn't check with us, and following Jesus means letting go of control, uh, just recognizing that, that there are some things that, that, that we can't make happen by our attempts at manipulating situations. And, and this is the only way that you'll be able to see God at work upstream in, in your life. Uh, because oftentimes I find that when we try to hold on to control, uh, we end up working against God. Um, for instance, the, the Israelites, uh, they, they would have been working against God had they uh, ignored Joshua's command to, to walk into the water and instead said, no, I think we're going to um, form a bridge-building committee. God's ways just don't seem right, and so we're going to do it in our own way. That, that's a, uh, and you can, you can play that out in your own life in multiple ways, where, where you might disregard God's ways and say, I think I know a better way, God, to get what, what I want. And when we do that, uh, when we hold on to control and do it our way, then, then we, we end up not being able to see God at work in our lives. Uh, some people can't see God at work upstream in their lives, not because they, they lack faith, but because they insist on having too much control and doing it their own way. But finally, to see God at work upstream is to uh, see your pain within God's bigger picture. So often we're, we're too focused on today and we, we get impatient uh, because we want our situation changed right now. We want a miracle. If not today, then maybe later this week, God. Uh, I can wait, but it better not be more than a month, right? We, we all, we, the, Bible, the Bible is clear, though, that, that God uh, oftentimes does his best work over long periods of time, oftentimes generations God uh, can see the big picture, and therefore God isn't nearly as concerned with the immediate short-term fix as we are. And, and once we learn to accept this, we can develop this, this supernatural kind of patience that asserts, God, I, I don't understand what's happening right now, but, but I'm sure, God, that you will be able to use it somehow for good. And, and I might find out Later this month, maybe I'll find out a couple decades from now. Maybe I won't find out until after I die and I'm in your presence. But God, I trust. I'm going to let go of this and trust you with this problem. You know, even in the, the first year uh, of our journey through infertility, uh, God was developing in us a, a heart for adoption. Uh, but we just, uh, we just weren't in a financial position to really begin that process. Uh, plus, we, we always held out some hope that, that maybe, maybe uh, we would get pregnant. But, but even when we couldn't see it, God was at work upstream in our situation. Some, somehow, some way, God laid our need on the heart of a friend of mine, a friend who, uh, quite honestly, 
we, we weren't that super close. He didn't even live in the same state. We hadn't talked. We would talk maybe once, twice a year, maybe at most. And somehow he got wind of this. And, and he said, hey, you know, uh, uh, I'm on my way through Illinois next week. Can we get together? Um, and he came over to our house and he sat down in our living room. And he uh, shared with me that, that God was impressing upon his heart to give us a very generous sum of money for the purpose of adoption. Amy, Joe, and I, we, we were blown away. We did not see this coming. And obviously, God was at work, even though we couldn't see him. And, and so we uh, began the adoption process, trusting that this was a door that, that God was opening. And we committed to finishing the adoption journey no, no matter what, even though there was still an awful lot of money that, w- that we would need to uh, raise or invest and, and uh, set aside in order to make this happen. And And so we trusted God in that. And lo and behold, five and a half years after we started the the journey of of wanting to get pregnant, long after we had, um, without getting too graphic, we kind of stopped aggressively trying. It it was just too hard to count the fertile days. And and it was too heartbreaking to see that uh, it didn't work. Long after we we stopped really trying. Amy Jo sat me down on that same couch in our living room and she showed me the little plus sign. God was at work upstream. Andrew, our son, was born in late 2007 and then God entrusted us uh, with our daughter Anna two and a half years later in 2010. And all along the way, God was teaching us patience and giving us a heart of compassion for for others who might be in similar situations. And God taught us enduring faith. What what might God be doing upstream in your life? What, What might God want to do as you walk through difficult struggles that you're presently facing? Will you trust God with what you can't see? Will, will you be willing to, to let go of control? Will you be willing to be patient and see your pain within God's bigger picture? I believe if you do, that you will get glimpses of what God is doing upstream in, in your life. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then, then, then one day at the end of your life, you're going to be ushered into God's presence. And I believe, the Bible doesn't say this, this is just, this is just Andy, so take it for what it's worth. Uh, I believe something like this will happen. I, th- I think when you're in God's presence, he'll bring you aside. And I think God will uh, say something like this. Son, daughter, let, let me show you something. You, you see this, this tangled mess? This, this, was, this was your life, the pain of your life, the struggles this was your life on earth. Do you remember when, when you lost your child? Do you, do you remember when your, your parents were divorced and it just set your life on, on a pain of hurt? Do you, do you remember those feelings of depression? Do you remember how awful it was to lose your home? And then, and then I, I think God will wipe away the last of your tears. And he'll flip that thing over and he'll say, this is, this is what I was doing through your life. 
See, see the masterpiece I, I, I weaved together in the midst of your pain. Look at the big picture. Look at, look at all the people who were transformed through the, the grief and the struggles that you went through and how you walked through. And I'm proud of you, son, daughter, for being patient. I'm sorry you had to endure that hardship. I, I didn't bring the pain. I didn't want the pain. Uh, that was never my will. But you trusted me in the midst of the difficult circumstances of this life. And I was able to use it for good. I'm so glad you were faithful. I'm so glad you didn't give up even when you had every reason to do so. I was always at work upstream in your life. In a moment, I'm going to pray and we're going to have a time of, um, of giving uh, back to God our, our tithes and offerings. Um, and, and we're going to have a, a couple of, of songs of worship. And I want to make this special invitation to you. Uh, we, we've, we've set up, uh, I call them prayer stations, uh, just uh, little altars. Uh, so, so you would have a place to just uh, be present with God, uh, to, to get on your, on your knees even. There are some uh, little kneeler pads. Um, and, and just pour your heart out to God, uh, either just in the silence of your own heart or maybe even writing uh, prayer requests down on the connection cards that are there available and know that they'll be prayed for during the week. Uh, but we're, we're going to be offering our hearts to God in multiple ways. And, and if, if you just need to do some business with God, and need to take that step of commitment to get up out of your seat and, 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 and go talk to God, uh, these prayer stations are available uh, for you to do so. This time is for you. So let's pray together. Father, in the midst of, of our pain, uh, we choose to trust you, e even when we can't see you. And Lord, I know that that is a hard prayer for some of us to pray, but, but really, God, you are our only hope. Meet us here today in the midst of our struggles and, and hardship. Lord, would you, would you speak to us by the power of your spirit as we sing and as we pray and give us the assurance that you are at work upstream in our lives. And as we give our tithes and offerings, Lord, would you take them and use them to help give others hope that you are at work upstream in their lives too. We pray in the name of Jesus who made it possible.